Hey everyone, Chris here. Uh, Just a quick programming note, when I went to go edit the Zoom audio for this episode, the last five minutes were really distorted and garbled. It was something that happened with Zoom that I could not control, and I don't know how it happened. It has never happened before. I hope it doesn't happen again. So I went ahead and cut most of that. I did keep about a minute and a half. It's the wrap-up to our conversation about Badlands. Um, I wanted to make sure we had a clean break there. So you will notice the last minute and a half get a little garbled and distorted you can feel free to turn it off at that point i think we've given a good uh summation of our thoughts on the movie by that point but if you want to keep listening just for completion i'm sorry for your ears um the stuff i cut out it was basically perry and i telling you where you can find us online so you can follow perry on twitter at perry loves film you can listen to him on ann arbor radio every friday on the lucy ann lance show uh you can find me on twitter at mere christianity you can also find my newsletter criticisms uh that is on substack everything is in the show notes feel free to subscribe give us a listen follow us on other platforms Uh, i also did want to let you know we have some fun things coming up in the next few weeks in two weeks we will conclude our series on movies of the 70s we'll be talking about michael simi knows the deer hunter and i'm really excited about that one we will follow that up with a fairly lengthy miniseries on the films of robert altman that's a huge blind spot for me perry uh, is very excited to introduce me to many of altman's films so that will be fun we are going to probably have some special fun stuff throughout the rest of the year as well there's some movies i know we want to take some time out and tackle so thank you for listening uh, i hope you enjoy this episode badlands is a very fun film to talk about you know i've mentioned malik on here before so i hope you love this episode and we will be back in two weeks to talk the deer hunter this podcast is part of the big heads media podcast network go to bigheadsmedia.com for more great podcasts and now on with the show Hey everyone, welcome to We're Watching Here. We're Watching Here. That actually shook my uh, computer. Wow, that was great. That I was apologize. great. No, don't apologize for it's that. Been, it's just been pent up for a month. I've been missing this. <laughs> don't apologize because this is Opinionated Movie Talk with Chris and Perry. My name is Chris. With me, he is the kit to my holly, Perry Seibert. How you doing? He's the most beautiful man I've ever seen, except maybe for James Dean. <laughs> oh, I can hear those plunky little strings in the background, <laughs> that score the entire time. <laughs> How are you doing, Perry? I'm good. How are you doing, Chris? I am doing well. Um, yeah, I'm, do- I'm doing well. It's been a while since we've recorded, but uh, I think it's only been two weeks since the last episode dropped. So if you guys haven't heard our Once Upon a Time in Hollywood novel discussion go back and listen to that when you're done here uh today i am very excited we are continuing our series on movies from the 70s we are talking terrence malick's 1973 debut badlands and uh, i'm looking forward to talking about that but perry first as always what have you been watching so i have a very special what what are we watching chris tonight as soon as i finish uh recording this with you I will be sitting down with my oldest daughter to watch the final episode of the original ABC run of Twin Peaks with her for the Ooh. first time. This will be at least, I don't know how many times I've watched just the finale, but this is interesting. We've been going through it. It's the first time she's seen it all. 
And it's the first time I've seen it since the Showtime series. Okay. And what has been most impressive is how much uh, how much of that second season, which people like to crap on and be dismissive of, is actually really kind of dealt with in the Showtime series. Okay. <laughs> I'm not saying it's perfect. I'm not saying the second season is necessary. I don't know what of Twin Peaks is necessary, honestly. But uh, if you're a fan, yeah, yeah. Uh, I forget how much certain things really matter that will end up mattering later. Uh, and that's, that, that was an interesting way to see, because I don't think I'd watched it until just before the Showtime series, which is the last time I rewatched the season two. And so seeing it again with the foresight or hindsight of what's coming, <laughs> it's, 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 uh, it was an interesting watch. I was glad I went back through it. Interesting. I have never seen Twin Peaks. Uh, I was a little young for it when it came out. I, I was probably, yeah, I was a preteen when that show was uh, yeah, was yeah. airing. Um, but it, it's been one of those ones kind of like X-Files that I've been like, I should probably get around to that sometime. And it's probably a little easier to uh, binge than X-Files, which has like 2000 episodes or something. Yes and no. Um, Okay. Yes and no. Um, you can't, you can't, you, I would not take this as one giant horse pill. Okay. You don't want to binge these. <laughs> you don't want to watch six episodes of Twin Peaks in a row. Okay. okay. It's not a good idea. <laughs> okay. But it, it's been on my list. Um, I, I'm curious. I know that was one of the kind of one of the first shows to start like really being serialized. Um, and, and since then, obviously, that's all TV is at this point. How does your daughter like the show? Has she been into it? Does it? So it's interesting. She's so she is. Um, she's not a uh she's not nearly the lynch file i am and actually we're going to take a break between this and watching the showtime stuff to i I, there are a few films of lynch's i needed her to see before we do the showtime stuff uh so i'm looking forward to that in fact if we go back oh how many years ago did we do our our our, uh our legacy episode (laughs) this is i talked about it on that episode the last thing i really wanted to show emma that i hadn't yet was blue velvet Okay, and that's going to be the first thing we watch when this when this chunk of Twin Peaks ends. Uh, I want to watch Blue Velvet. Uh, we'll, we'll watch the Twin Peaks movie, Firewalk with Me, and then I wanted to see Mulholland Drive because I wanted to see how important Naomi Watts is to David Lynch before we get to the Showtime stuff because she's those fantastic in the Showtime uh, the Showtime season of Twin Peaks. Uh, she's a fan. She's staying with it. She's she's enjoying it. She takes it for what it is. It's not, you know, it is a very, it's a series that did not care to make sense in any sort of narrative, logical way. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And, and, you know, she's comfortable with that. She's fine with that. Uh, It is so very stylish isn't even the word to me because that seems like it's trying to have a, 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 a style and it is but it's something so much more than that it's like the wes anderson thing you know it's an aesthetic it's not a style there's more to it than that it's it's a commitment to a particular look and feel and what is fascinating is that again going through it again is how how that has altered for lynch over time that you know firewalk with me is a very different beast than the abc twin peaks and the showtime series is very different from both the movie and from the abc series while certainly being part of it like not so different that you're like i can't believe this but it's different it's not the same thing they are they are wrestling with different big themes and the original series is uh the only one that's really truly funny 
the movie isn't funny at all outside of a couple okay. of laughs. The movie is the movie is the movie's a rough sit. And the Showtime series has some huge laughs in it, but it's like they stop to do the laughs. <laughs> They're not integrated. We're gonna we're gonna stop and have this funny scene so that you're so that you have some laughs with this. And that's not to knock. I'm simply saying that's how it's structured. Uh but it's it the whole thing's worth going through at some point yes i i i have a hard time saying it's necessary it really is a very odd series for network television truthfully it's a it is stunning that it became a thing <laughs> going back to it you you will be surprised i'm trying to fathom what we like to see it for the first <laughs> time i'm not having yeah i lived with it for 20 five plus years at this point you know i i know that's here 30 years wow wow yeah sure indeed 30 years uh and you know lynch has two he's been thinking about it this whole time and you can tell during the showtime series okay i i will have to add that to my queue eventually and, and get around to that i know my wife tried it when it was added to netflix and uh it weirded her out within like the first two episodes she's like i'm out and uh yeah, the first episode really is so tonally odd, and okay. uh, a lo- so much crying. There's so much crying in the first in the pilot episode of Twin Peaks. There's nothing but crying, Chris. Lots <laughs> of crying. <laughs> Everybody is very sad that Laura has been murdered. There's lots of crying, <laughs> and, to, and to the point where it's like, wow, there's a lot of crying, <laughs> and yet. You know, Kyle McLaughlin shows up and and makes you feel very you're very you're very happy to spend time because he's his his evocation of an FBI lawman is one of the most beautiful and likable things in the history of television. I I will definitely get around to that one day. Lynch is a bit of a blind spot for me in some areas. Um, actually, a lot of areas, but I have seen Mulholland Drive and uh, I really liked that, and so I need to get around to him. Well, I will tell you that it has led us to uh, every day now. I don't know if you, if you, uh, yeah, since I'm assuming you haven't, Lynch a few, uh, maybe it was actually during, during lockdown last year. It might have, it might stretch to before that. He does a daily weather report. Oh yeah, and, yeah. And the uh, the daily top ten draw, then the the ten numbered balls draw every day on his YouTube channel. And you know what? If you got two and a half minutes to kill, you you could do worse. <laughs> Than to check this out every day. It's it's pretty good viewing. All right. Uh, maybe I'll check those out too. Um, I have not been watching a lot. Uh, it's funny. Before we started recording, I, I was telling you how much I have not watched. Uh, August was just a crazy busy month. Uh, work was busy. We had some trips going on, things like that. Uh, so I looked back at my letterbox. And in the last month, so first part of September and then all of August. I have watched five movies, Perry. Five. <laughs> all right. I, I often am 20 or 30 in a month. Uh, eh, 20 in a month is not unheard of. Um, five. Yeah. Uh, I, I will read those to you because it's a quick list, except I will leave off the one that I will talk about. Okay. Um, I should also note part of that's also that I am really committed to finishing the Sopranos before Mini Saints of Newark comes out um, or before it leaves HBO Max is kind of what I'm committed to. So by the end of October, I, I want to have seen <laughs> all of the Sopranos. And you talk about not taking all the entire horse pill at yeah, once. Wow. I, I, I'm in 
I just finished season three this week. Oh, oh and so uh, you got a bit. Yeah, Ooh, I got a bit. And yeah. I, I asked a critic on Twitter. I'm like, can I see the movie without having finished the show? He's like, at the point you're at, finish the show if you can. He's like, yeah. so I think it's doable, yeah. uh, but it is. It's not whether it's doable or not. It really is how I feel about myself when I'm done with it. It is a, it is a dark show, but oh, my God, it's been so, so good to watch. And maybe in October, we will uh, devote some time to Many Saints of Newark. And I think we Broncos. should. Um, we should because I, I am greatly enjoying that, but that has taken up a lot of my time. Um, but so the movies I have watched, uh, Badlands, which we are going to talk about tonight, obviously. Um, I watched The Suicide Squad, James Gunn's uh, DC movie, which I saw and I, you know, I enjoyed it, was fine. I, I, I didn't jump on the uh giant praise that i saw everyone latching onto it with but i thought it was fine it was the most expensive trauma movie ever made and i think it's the exact right amount of praise to say it's the best of the modern dc films i think that is that is the correct amount of faint praise yep yep um so i saw the suicide squad um i did watch a, a few nights a few weeks ago my wife was gone my kids were gone so i pulled up Netflix and for whatever reason, watched Terminator two judgment day, which, uh, which <laughs> for the first time in how long? Oh gosh. It was 20 years. Maybe wow. um, it's, it's okay. not something I've probably revisited the first one several times in that period. And, and I like Terminator two a lot, but it just, I like the first one a lot more. Um, but Terminator two is just, that, that is a movie. That's just it works. It's, it's, it's fun. <laughs> it is. It, it's good. I saw Shang-Chi. I took my son to see Shang-Chi. It okay. is, uh, you know, it, it, it's the hamburger you like from Marvel. So, uh, you know, I, it's, it's exactly what I expect from Marvel. What I like from Marvel. It's probably what people don't like from Marvel. Um, <laughs> but the one that I want to talk about a little bit is one I've mentioned here on the podcast that I wanted to get around to. So Last year, I started a revisit of all of Steven Spielberg's films, um, and I put it on hold when they moved West Side Story back, because I'm like, I wanted this to coincide with going through West Side Story. So I've started that back up, and I, I it, it was taking me a while to, to get around to following up Color Purple, just because I knew there's some stuff coming that that's going to be a bit of a slog. Yeah. Um, Empire of the Sun was always the one that I had meant to get around to at some point. Um, but it was either hard to find for a bit. Um, I didn't have the time for it or I had other things to watch. So I did finally sit around. I think maybe the same day I watched Terminator 2, actually. I think I watched it earlier in the oh, day. Long movies. Um, yeah, I, there was probably a pizza break in there or something. But uh, <laughs> so I finally did watch Empire of the Sun. Um, and I really liked it. I, I think yeah. it is... When we talked about Color Purple briefly, I I think I said Spielberg, that was just, he was not the filmmaker who was ready to tackle that subject at that point. Um, And and I think for many reasons, he was the wrong person to tackle that novel, period. Um, You know, I I think that was his attempt to kind of say, I'm a serious artist, pay attention to me. And I like a lot of the Color Purple. There's a lot of stuff that I think fumbles. I think Empire of the Sun is the one where he began to make that transition a little bit more successfully. Um, I, I think it is a movie that fits his themes much better than Color Purple. It is a, it is a movie about separation from family, which is 
a theme Spielberg likes. Uh, he is very enamored with World War II and airplanes. And that is, you know, this is a love letter to World War II airplanes. Um, I had not been aware how big of a movie this was. In my mind, this was a small movie, but this is a epic scope. I mean, David Lean almost directed this movie. Um, And it works. And I think it's very emotional, but I think he shows some restraint when he needs to. I think Christian Bale is fantastic. It is one of the best childhood performances I've seen. Um, John Malkovich is very good in it as well. Uh, I was Ben Stiller. Ben Stiller. I was uh, halfway through the Sopranos through this and Joe Pantoliano shows up yes. in this small Joey role. pants. Yep. And that that I'm always very happy when he shows up to that. So yeah, I really liked Empire of the Sun. Um it kind of put the fire back in me. I should have a uh review of that up in my newsletter in either the next one or the one after this. So uh yeah, it's got me psyched up for always. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh. Yeah. Let's just I I I I feel the need to jump in. Not that I no I I and I agree. I think it's a very good film. I think it's one of two of best movies. Uh and it's it is one of the few that truly kind of feels personal. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, With, that not that it is that's not his story at all. Yeah, it's someone else's true story. But, it's, but it it does it is it's a really good film. Have you ever seen uh, Hope and Glory? I don't know that I have seen Hope and Glory. Okay, so I would I would strongly encourage you to see John Borman's Hope and Glory, which is uh, another film about World War II seen from the eyes of a child. And I think that it uh, it, it is, uh, for my money, the best part of Empire of the Sun is actually, the, I, I, prefer the, I prefer the first act, the second and third. Mm-hmm. I like being in that kid's world. Uh, yeah. And uh, Hope and Glory is just that. Hope and Glory is really about what it was like to be eight years old when World War II was going on. Okay. <laughs> and it stays there. It doesn't. It, it doesn't have any interest in giving you a, a a a a wider lesson. I mean, the stuff's there. It's it's you know it's it's very clear that you know the kid does not understand everything that's going on. You get what's going on, but you only experience it as the kid sort of experiences it. And it it is autobiographical. I mean, Borman really did make a film about what it was like for his childhood experience during World War II, and it is it is a really great film. And it's just the next year. I think it was out in '88. Uh, uh, it was the best it was... picture nominee. It's, same year, actually, eighty-seven. Is it the same year? Yeah, it's they are they are uh, they are peas in a pod, and uh, Hope and Glory is really spectacular. I, I, oh, cool. I can't recommend that film enough. So Very yes, cool. that's my that's my little add that to your add that to your list. You know, when you get around, when you want to wrap up some more World War II stuff that doesn't have that Spielberg vibe. Yeah, and and it's funny you bring up the Spielberg vibe because the one false note the movie hits for me is its final shot when he just can't resist, you know, falling back into the mom's yeah. hair. Everything's okay. Um, yeah. Which which that, that I was kind of like, wow, this he's not going to sentimentalize that, and then he does, and yeah, you know, it's Spielberg. He he's going to Spielberg. So it's going to Spielberg all over that. Yes, he is. <laughs> so we're going to move on from Steven Spielberg to. Um, another one of his contemporaries who came out about the same time. Uh, and we're going to talk about Terrence Malick, who is a filmmaker. We've talked about a few times on here uh, because I think tree of life. I definitely came up in my best of the day. De- I think it was the top of my best of the decade. I believe it was. When we did that. And a hidden life was on my uh, top 10 list in 2019. Um, tree of life is one of my five favorite movies of all time. I enjoy it. I had not seen Badlands, which is 
Terrence Malick's 1973 debut. Um, it stars Sissy Spacek and Martin Sheen as young lovers who hit the road and kill people, uh, which was a popular <laughs> theme movies at that point. Um, so I watched this a, a few weeks ago. It was on HBO Max for a bit. Uh, it, it like hit the right window. It was on HBO Max at just the right time. Perfect. Um, and so, yeah, I guess to kick this off is Perry. How the hell is this a debut debut film? <laughs> oh, it's a yeah, good. Yes, that's a that's a valid question. I would agree. Yes, this is a film in which you see a. Uh, I, I've always it's so it's my favorite Malick film. And I, I think it's the best Malick film. And I say that because for me, it is the it is it is the one time where you sort of you feel him discovering this. Like he's he has found his voice and he's figuring out what he can do with it. And for me, starting with the very next film, Days of Heaven, which I actually like. I think Days of Heaven is good. But even by Days of Heaven, it's starting to calcify. Like he's hmm. he's stuck in it. He's gonna he's gonna commit to this whether he needs to or not. And Badlands still Badlands does not feel like to paraphrase not paraphrase outright steal Pauline Kael's great line about uh, about mid mid seventies Stanley Kubrick. You know, Malick sometimes oftentimes doesn't feel like he's taking pictures to make movies. It feels like he's making movies to take pictures Mm -hmm. and you don't get that feeling at all in Badlands. No Badlands still has two people at its center. One, especially (laughs) the sissy space character who, you know, her voiceover is one of the all time great movie voiceovers. Uh, You know, you, you understand how unreliable a narrator she is right from the top. You understand also why she would be drawn to this, as you so aptly put it, sub James Dean <laughs> presence in her life suddenly. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a really really good. It's a great first film, yeah. <laughs> and it's it's. Um, I I always wish that Malik. Uh, it, it makes me regret that Malik couldn't have held on to more of it over the rest of his career. Well, I think what he he just got more interested in being a poet almost like not not to say Badlands is very poetic, you know, um, absolutely. He got really wrapped up in the, the, the ethereal, I, I guess is the best way to say it. Like, yes, by the time you get to Tree of Life, like you can't really like Tree of Life has a story there. there you can piece together a story, but you have to cut through the voiceover. You have to cut through all the whimsy to kind of piece together what's going on. It, it clouds the whole thing, which I like to, to me. I, I like that very spiritual, you know, approach to it. It, it works for me. Um, Badlands, the story is there. It's, but the depth is also there. Um, it, it's funny. We watched, I watched it and I remember thinking, eh, you know, yeah, we can talk about this for a half hour. That, that, that's there's enough here to talk about for a half hour. But you keep coming back to it. And I kept thinking about it. I'm like, I don't know if a half hour is enough. I mean, this is a deep movie. This is <laughs> this says so yeah. much about America. I, I mean, it, it is a movie about America. It's a movie about our love, our attraction to violence. But it's about youth. It's about innocence. It's about, you know, like many Malik movies. It's about nature and yeah. how it is bigger and lasts longer than any of us. Uh, 
everything that's been in his past few films is seated right here. He, Oh, absolutely. You know, it, it's funny. You watch some films from directors who went on to make ma- masterpieces and stuff. And you go back to their first films and it's, you would have never guessed that, you know, uh, what was it that, um, what, what, what did Coppola do right before Godfather? Wasn't it like a leprechaun well, movie or something? The rain people and, uh, uh, oh, I'm playing Indians way rainbow. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's not the Godfather, you know. <laughs> no, but but with Malik, you look at Badlands, and it's the only thing that isn't fully formed there for him is that the technology that he would later use in like Tree of Life and stuff to get these big, you know, swirling, twirling pictures isn't quite, you know, it's not yeah. there for him to do that. The movie though is him. It it is. Oh, very much. That so. is him. Yes. Um. Yeah, God, I, young sissy SpaceX is so good in this. Yeah, I, I, where do you want to start on this one? Oh gosh, anywhere. I, I, I yeah, let's start. Let's start with sissy SpaceX and Martin Sheen giving spectacular. You know, this is the other thing that's missing from from me for Malik. Nobody performs in Malik films anymore. They're photographed. Mm-hmm. They're not. There's there are scenes in this movie. You know, there are dramatic scenes where somebody wants something. <laughs> and tries to get it and fails or succeeds. And because of what they did, that leads to the next thing that happens. There is a traditional narrative drive, which doesn't exist anymore in Malik and hasn't for quite some time. There, There is in Days of Heaven, this next film, but you know, we, we've abandoned that by the time we get to the thin red line. And certainly by the time we get to tree of life, you can tell me there's a story there. And yes, I can go back and recreate events, but, there's not a story in the sense that this happens, then this happens, then this happens. And that's why I keep watching. Yeah. <laughs> There's, I don't, I don't know, you know, let's say people, people now are photographed by him. They don't act. And it was, it's so great to watch the Sissy Spacek and Martin Sheen play with each other in this. They're, they are great. You know, Martin Sheen is such a oh, fabulous God. actor and truly has only got, you know, like I'm thinking of somebody like Roy Scheider, who like is also the great actor, and they just didn't get that many shots to dominate something. And every time they did, they were fantastic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're fantastic. Roy Scheider owns all that jazz. <laughs> Martin Sheen owns this film and owns Apocalypse Now. You know, <laughs> thankfully. Uh, yeah, and that's really why I, you know, as, as as we've talked about many times over the years. I'm a sucker for actors. So yes, give me a director that visual with a couple of actors who he wants to work with and have them actually act in his movie. This, this, that's probably the reason this is my favorite Malik film. That, that's fair. That's fair. And they are. They're fantastic performances. Um, to the point, like it, it took me by surprise because my first instinct when I'm watching this is I'm like, why is uh, Holly so passive? She's not getting upset about the death she's seen. She's just, that's the whole point. Like this, like this, this aloofness towards death, this, this kind of where it's there, but they don't, they're not affected by it. And, you know, you think about we're coming out of Vietnam at that point and it's this whole American psyche, but it's, it, it was so fascinating to see because I'm like, why, why is this character just so passive? I'm like, Oh, because she's a teen who is, this isn't quite real for her. This is her, this is her fairy tale. Um, And that starts falling apart. And what I love is what Tricky does 
is throughout the movie too. And it, it starts coming a little more uh, rapidly near the end. Holly will be speaking in voiceover and she will tell us something. And what we see on the screen directly contradicts that. Yeah. And you get the sense that a, she's romanticized this life she has that is not romantic at all, but the way he captures the way their love is kind of souring and they're growing distant from each other because that's what happens when the fairy tale starts ending, when it becomes real uh, and, and it just captures this, these two who, yeah, they, they, they've got a wedge between them and he doesn't ladle it on. There's not like a huge fight between them. It's just in the subtle way he has them say one thing, shows us another, and yeah. it, it's very impactful. Um, yeah, God, the, it, the violence in this movie really surprised me. Um, yeah. It, it's, it's stark. It's very just matter of fact. And it, it, it shocked me when, it, when I would, you know, when, when it had occurred. Well, see, other, the other reason I really love it is it is very much not a continuation and not quite an answer, but something else to Bonnie and Clyde. It's mm-hmm. only six years removed from Bonnie and Clyde. It's not that long at all. And it is very much, you know, uh, I mean, you know, thinking like a studio head, not 1973, but a regular studio head. Yeah, that's why you green like this. You know, somebody says, yeah, I can do Bonnie and Clyde, but, you know, even hipper. <laughs> and not, not, not hip in the incredibly stylish way that Bonnie and Clyde was trying to be hip and was and did capture it quite effectively. But in a very, in, in, a, in a way that we would later call very Malick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's got a very distinct aesthetic that he wants to work in and he finds it here and he works it like you're saying beautifully it is all of his themes are right here and you know in addition to all of the gorgeous cinematography and the absolutely wonderful editing rhythms that just keep you sort of hypnotized throughout all this you know he actually puts people in it yeah (laughs) which even even bonnie and clyde kind of falls short of comparatively those those characters are hip and cool you know there is there is a there is there is a coolness to the coldness of that movie and this isn't cool badlands isn't cool it's something else it's it's art it's not trying to be hip it's trying to be this very unique and distinct thing and pulls it off beautifully well, I even think the next year Spielberg would do um, Sugarland Express, yep. which, you know, not, very similar. It's a road movie about a young couple who is committing a crime. Um, and, and it has similar themes in the fact that, you know, it plays with how our, you know, our country is very, you know, we're very drawn to violence. We like to uh, mythologize our outlaws and stuff. And that the two people at the center of it are out of their depth. Like that's, that's a very similar theme. Spielberg wants to be that cool filmmaker. He turns it into a smash and chase movie in the last half hour that uh, to me kind of ruins the things I like about the movie. Um, (laughs) And Malik, Malik's 30 years old when this comes out. And this is a movie by someone who is like very concerned with the soul. And very concerned yeah. with philosophy. Yeah, he was a philosophy major. And you you can see it. he is someone who is, you know, curious about 
are, you know, why do we have these outlaws in our nation's history who we are drawn to? We are a nation of violence. By the end of the movie, Kit's a celebrity. And, oh, yeah. and he loves that. And, you know, he, the, the people who are arresting him love him. And, it, it, you know, that that's America. That's it. That's still America all these years later. And it gets that even without that being the point, like we have that there's that fantastic scene where they hole up in inside the millionaire's house for a while. And he fought, you know, Kit discovers the dictaphone, delivers that mm-hmm. <laughs> fantastically insane monologue about his advice for everybody. You know, he's already self mythologizing. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, and it's, it's, it's that trait. It's not just that, you know, America celebrates and, and holds these people up. It's not just, you know, the media doing this it's not you know we talk about dog day afternoon it's not just that it's not which is what happens in sugarland express it's not that it's he's getting at something even more deep that you know that the he he's pointing out the insanity of someone who is that much of a killer is already self-mythologizing <laughs> and that yeah. the, the danger of okay how easily does that get wedded to this culture's need to mythologize and to, <laughs> to have, I don't even want to call him heroic. Cause I don't think they are. I don't think he is a hero oh, no. in this, even, you know, even uh, he's a celebrity. Yes. And that's something else. Yes. <laughs> that's, that's something else entirely, which is another, just another layer of what Malik's doing here. That makes this a really, like you said, this is the work of a philosophy student. Well, and I love how, um, I, I love just how there are moments of just, I, I don't want to say whimsy, that's the wrong word, but they will stop and build a house in the forest. They will let a balloon go. Like just these moments that seem very innocent and playful. And, and then there are two people who are going and killing people. Don't, and, don't discount the influence yeah. of this film on Wes Anderson. Oh, don't, I was, I was going to, I was actually going to bring up Jeffrey Overstreet, who's a critic I like. I read his review of this on Letterboxd and he said, you know, very obvious. This was a huge influence, particularly on um, Moonrise Kingdom. Uh, y- yes, visually, no. visually a big. It's very reminiscent. Yes, there are. The, yes, I'm. I am sure Wes. I'm sure Wes watched this a few times. <laughs> Moonrise no Kingdom doubt. is not as good as that. I like Moonrise Kingdom quite a bit, but uh, I. Yeah, I mean, it's not this. Um, it's not a work of philosophy. No, I, I mean <laughs> the the sequence where they burn down the home and he focuses on the dollhouse burning and you realize that yeah. is Holly's innocence. Like that's the end of that. And it's just, you know, to explain it seems to take some of the punch out of it, but I mean, we're a podcast. We're not a visual media. Exactly. So, so we got to do that, but it, it, it's so interesting. It, it really is a movie that stuck with me um, in ways. I didn't even think it would when I was watching it, like when you're watching it, it does it tree of life. Again, I love Tree of Life, one of my top five favorite movies. You watch Tree of Life, though, and Tree of Life is constantly telling you that Malik has set out to make the greatest movie ever made. <laughs> like, that is a movie that is constantly telling you this is the be-all, end-all of cinema. And it's not, but I like it a lot. Um, Badlands isn't that. This is, like you said, this is someone figuring out how to make his type. Like, he's figuring yeah. out how to make a movie on the fly and because he's raising the money for himself, he's getting investors in this. Um, he doesn't have to sit, play by the, the rules you would normally have. He can make his movie. Um, and it's still a studio movie. 
Let's well, get Warner, real clear. Warner Brothers picked it up um, because this was a fact I learned. Warner Brothers picked it up and put it on a double bill with another movie. And do you know what that movie was, Perry? In 73? Yep. Gosh. No, I don't. Well, I will tell you, according to IMDb, it did no favors for either movie, because if you went and saw this, you would also be seeing Blazing Saddles. Ah, sure. <laughs> which, which, yeah. Both it's great known, right? That, that, is, that is whiplash that uh, I, I can't imagine. Like, I don't know what would be worse, like, or not, not even worse, because, oh, gosh, I'll sit through Blazing Saddles anytime. But uh, <laughs> you go to see Blazing Saddles and then Badlands follows it up That's or you go see or you That's go a, see uh, Badlands and Blazing Saddle breaks out. Like, I would go that I would go Badlands first. Yeah, <laughs> I think if I were going to have to sit through both of them or force somebody to see them. Yes, I would start with Badlands. I think you want to end with Dom DeLuise. I think definitely yeah. that's the way to go. Yeah, it, it was I, it was fascinating to watch this as someone who came to Malik later. Um, I, I actually think Tree of Life was my first Malik, maybe. I mean, Thin Red Line was early. I, don't think I saw that before Tree of Life. Um, so Tree of Life is my entry now, and then you know, everything that comes after, which I like to certain degrees. I actually do like the Wonder. I do too. I think it's a I do too. Movie. Um, and then Happy Hours, I really like Hidden Life. But it, like, like I said, I mean, story gets lost in that. I don't think that people don't perform for him, by the way. I think people perform for him, and then he goes and makes better music like that. And hacks like cuts it up, and in his mind, they're tone poems. So. For me, Tree of Life works really well if I think about it as a prayer. That, that's probably my connection with that movie and why his other ones kind of fall a little flat from the other one. Like, does it to a more, at least a more obvious and uh, thorough line. You know, there's a story there you can yes. follow. Even yes, if there's, there's, there's a traditional narrative there. There's, there's a traditional narrative there, absolutely. Yeah, but Badlands, I was wondering if I knew it was a, uh, you know, I knew the story was. I'm like, how does Malik work with like, a traditional narrative? And it's like, oh, really well. Uh, you know, really well because you, you can do this world and sometimes it's very impactful. And sometimes that approach of a movie that just wants you to feel something at that point and not worry about the overarching story. So much that works for you. Uh, but sometimes it's just something said for a really good story about two people that also understands there's ways to treat these people like actual human beings with death and souls that they don't even quite understand themselves. This character does not really understand what's going on inside of her. No, Malik understands that. And that's why we understand how much he understands how much what he does is, you know, an act because he, he's very much, he's styling himself after an actor. Uh, there's, a, there's a scene where they're driving in the car they're talking about actors and you see how informed they are about what they see on their face. Maybe that's, it's not anymore. Yeah, yeah. It feels, it's like, not, for all of these lyrical language sort of detours the movie takes, visually, it, no, it feels really exciting. If you've only, you know, if you've only ever heard that kids love a strange and dancing, you have not seen the best use of that song in any movie ever until you've been around Badlands. <laughs> that's, that's the sequence that separated the very first time I saw the movie. <laughs> this is great. We're just gonna stop and watch them dance. Barefoot in nature, yes, because they believe they're Adam and Eve. Yeah, yeah. I'll buy it. Yeah, sure, let's do this. <laughs> I'm with you. Let's go, Terry. Well, and he already has to, like, work with the cinematographer to capture the eyes and see if so well, too. Yes. Like, well, you know, yeah, no matter what we're doing here, just no matter what we're doing here, you know, we uh, thought. Um, I, I mean, the, the way they capture the landscape are just such beautiful shots. Even back to one of the distant thunderstorms and yep. just lightning crackling across the sky. And that's not like, so well is, you know, this nature photography is a reminder that we are sharing the planet. We're renting a room on a planet that's not going to be all. We're going to swallow it by that one day. You know, what we've done is not going to be remembered. Yeah, absolutely. 